Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. And eventually, that's how Mind Valley started. At a certain point, I quit Silicon Valley and I became a meditation instructor in New York City. And pretty soon, I realized that if you want to go broke, become a meditation instructor <laughs> in New York City. Nationalism will die out in most parts of the developed world by 2100. That's my prediction. That's one of the things that Mind Valley is really excited about. We employ people from 46 different countries. And when we run our major events like Mind Valley University, we fly the Earth flag. There isn't an official Earth flag, so I wanna push the world to create one, but that's <laughs> what we associate with. And then he gave me a look. I was expecting a look of pride. I was proud, of, proud about what I did, but he gave me that look that just kind of said, that's really, really, really small of you. But it all came because this man totally kicked my ass and got me out of my comfort zone. So all of these experiments, all of these new ideas that I'm studying, that I have hundreds of people in the Mind Valley company researching, adapting, getting out to the world, are all designed to break human beings out of these shackles that these lies put us in, to awaken them to their potential and get them to start doing something about planet Earth. I speak about the concept of brules. Brules, B-R-U-L-E-S, is a short form for bullshit rules. And I give people ways to recognize the bullshit rules of the world today. My self-esteem issue, not believing I was enough, cost me millions upon millions upon millions of dollars because I gave up so much to someone else thinking I couldn't do it. What's up, folks? Xavier Katsana here, and wow, we just finished our interview with Mr. Vishen Lakiani, which is you, you are about to experience, and I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Vishen is the founder of Mind Valley, a company that has revolutionized the systems of learning and meditation and studies of consciousness. Yeah, Vision is working so very hard on many different things and I've got a grin from ear to ear on my face right now because of how great this interview came out. So hope you guys love it as much as I did. Please find us on Twitter at The Human XP. We're the same on YouTube, same on Facebook. We have launched a members section, thehumanxp.com slash members, pre-register and get yourself a HXP membership because we are going to, going to be collating all of the extra content that we do, all of these interviews that you hear, all the stuff that we don't air, all of the learning that you're going to be able to experience and it helps us sustain what we're doing here with this show. We were also nominated for the Weebly Award which is a podcasting award. Very, very grateful for this nomination. So everyone listening to this broadcast, please put some good energy out there for this nomination for us to win this award. Thank you guys so much for listening. Here is my guest, Vishen Lakhiani. 
The Human Experiences in Session, my guest for today is Mr. Vishen Lakiani, who is making a reappearance on the show, his second time on the show. Vishen, welcome back to HXP, sir. Hey, Xavier. It's good to be back. So, Vishen, since the last time we spoke, I believe it's been a year and a half. It's been a long time. The, pa- the podcast has grown so much. I know what you have been doing has grown so much. I think Code of Extraordinary Mind went like double, triple platinum or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it did pretty well. It was a New York Times uh, bestseller. But what was really cool is that about 18 months after the book came out, it took off on Amazon. And so this past November, two months ago, for about three days in November, it was the number one book on Kindle globally. And um, that was really, really, really exciting. I don't know how it happened. Hmm. But as a result, I got asked to write my second book. So I'm now in like deep, busy planning mode for that second book, which I'm hoping to get out in 2019. Okay, so now we have a third interview set up already. Okay, sounds good. Okay. There's such a great amount of knowledge with all of the people that you're touching and the people that you surround yourself with building Mind Valley. What year did you start Mind Valley? Mind Valley started in a very, very, very different way. When we started in 2003, I was, it was a venture builder. It was basically just a registered company so I could experiment with, I was a programmer. I was coding and, and pu- putting out different web apps. I had the second biggest social bookmarking engine in the world after Delicious. Now this was way back in 2003. So it was doing a lot of different things, but Mind Valley as we know it today, which is a personal growth academy, mindvalley.com, that took off November, 2013. What I've noticed about you through the years as you know, we've talked and exchanged emails is you study things. You look at the way things work. If I can say you are obsessed with finding out the intricacies of how something works and then figuring it out for yourself, like deconstructing it and then reconstructing it in your own way. Would you agree with this? Largely, yes. So tell us about that process. Like, What is that process like for you? So, so to understand that process, you got to understand what's driving it, right? From the age of 14, my dad would give me personal growth books to read. From the age of 14, I was reading all of these classic books like Psycho-Cybernetics, The Silva Method, and I got obsessed with understanding the idea of human potential. And when I went to school, I got really jaded. I did not love what I was learning in school. I became a computer engineer, not because so much I wanted to, but because that was what was expected of an Indian kid in the 1990s, right? Mm. I ended up working for Microsoft. I ended up working for a nonprofit. I did all of these odd jobs, but the idea of human potential always mesmerized me. And eventually that's how Mind Valley started. At a certain point, I quit Silicon Valley and I became a meditation instructor in New York City. And pretty soon I realized that if you want to go broke, become a meditation instructor <laughs> in New York City. And so, but I was happy for five years. I was really, really, really happy just teaching meditation classes. I was bringing in, you know, little bits of money. And in 2008, I, I was running Mind Valley. It wasn't making hardly any money. And on the side, I was teaching meditation. So I had this little company building simple web apps, trying to figure out how to make money. We had about 15 employees. And, I, and on the side, I would fly to New York and fly to London and teach meditation classes. And then one day, I'm going to lunch in London, and I'd been invited to lunch by Bob Proctor. So Bob Proctor was a very famous speaker and author. He wrote a bunch of books on thinking big and goal setting. And uh, I had helped Bob build a website 
right, the previous year. And so we were in touch and he was kind of a mentor. He was a big deal. And he was doing a seminar in London. And he said, hey, if, you know, if you uh, if you're in town, just stop by, um, come say hi to me over lunch. So I stopped by just to say hi to him in that hotel lunchroom. Sure. And he asks me, what are you doing here in London? And I go, well, I'm here, Bob, and I'm so proud about what I've done. I'm like, I'm here, Bob, to teach this meditation class. And, you know, there's going to be about 60 students and I'm probably going to make about five grand. And Bob said, did you fly business class or coach? And I go, well, you know, I can't afford business class. It's going to be too expensive. So I flew coach. And he says, so wait, you're telling me you flew coach 20 hours. You left your wife. You left your kid to come to London to teach a tiny little class for 60 people. And this is what you've been doing for five years. Vision, vision, vision. You've got to think bigger. And then he gave me a look. I was expecting a look of pride. I was proud, of, proud about what I did. But he gave me that look that just kind of said, that's really, really, really small of you. And this is what Bob Proctor says in his books, right? And, and, I, and, and at first I was like pissed off, but then I realized what he was trying to get me to do. And this quote by Bob is now on my Facebook page. It's been on my Facebook page since that month in 2008. And the quote is, the question is not, are you worthy enough to reach your goals? The question is, are your goals worthy enough of you? Hmm. When I heard that from him, that was the last month I was teaching those tiny little meditation classes. I quit. I just completely quit that month. And I decided to ask myself, how could I make a massive, 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 freaking gigantic impact on the world. If I believe in this stuff, it's my responsibility to get it out to millions of people. And yeah. that's really where the, the genesis for Mindvalley started taking off. And that's when we started the books. We started mindvalley.com. We invented the Quest learning platform, which is probably the most sophisticated learning platform in the world. We started festivals around the world. Two years after that encounter with Bob, I launched AFES, which is now Mindvalley's festival, which sure. happened yeah. like every six months and you get all of these amazing speakers. And it's like the TED talk of the personal growth industry. But it all came because this man totally kicked my ass and got me out of my comfort zone. And so now the question I ask myself every single day is how can I make a massive global impact to 1 billion people and awaken these billion people to pure human potential? Wow, I, I love that story so much. I love that segue. It's perfect into, you know, these ambitions that, that we all have, whether we're entrepreneurs, building businesses, or just simply trying to transform our own personal lives into something bigger or something better for ourselves. What, in your opinion, is that thing which drives a person to want to change the world and then subsequently successfully change the world? There is, um, there's a couple of things, right? Now, the first is waking up to the fact that we are living within a massive, massive, massive series of lies. So I'll tell you a funny story. This week, I decided to go on a public campaign to expose Nestle business practices uh, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And it started because the New York Times did an expose showing how Nestle, which is an $80 billion Swiss company, was basically funding the Malaysian government research on health and nutrition. The Malaysian government was putting out some really, really, really obsolete ideas on, you know, how to take care of health, how to control obesity. And as a result, Malaysia, which is the country I'm born in, is now the fattest country in Asia. And so I started studying Nestle ingredients, Nestle advertising, and I could see that there's this massive lie being pushed out where, for example, in Malaysia, kids 
are encouraged to drink sugary beverages, sugary malt beverages in the morning, loaded with sugar, because Nestle puts out advertising saying you need to drink this every single day to maintain energy for school. And it's leading to one of the, one of the fastest rises in childhood obesity in, in decades. Um, and so I decided I needed to expose this, brought my team together, and we decided to do the research and get videos out. We put out a video last week that got shared by 1.4 million people, which is wow. huge given it's just in Malaysia. I started right. being, I, in 48 hours, people were stopping me in the streets. And the reason what drove me was actually, I guess in the, in the, in the words of Dave Logan, righteous anger. Righteous anger that so many false ideas about what it means to be human is being put out in the world. Let's make a, a short list, okay? There's the <laughs> whole idea from big food companies about the food we eat. Not just Nestle, but Coca-Cola, marketing high fructose can syrup as happiness in a red can. Vitamin water, which is marketing sugared water as something that contains vitamins. Food companies putting out this blatant amounts of, of unhealthy food leading to rise, a massive rise in global obesity, and worse, a massive rise in diabetes in children. Then there is the lies of corporate world, which is basically that, you know, you got to get a good degree, work hard, get a job, work from nine to five, check in, check out, slave away so that someday you can save up enough money, retire in your 60s, and then enjoy the last few years of life you have before you settle into dust. Again, a really bullshit, dumb idea of the way the world should function, but an idea that gets so many college kids to go into massive amounts of debt to get university degrees for jobs that won't be there they graduate. And you can go on and on and on. There are the lies about love. There are the lies about aging. There are lies about longevity. There are lies about the potential of our mind. And I found that the education system just didn't do enough to update itself with the new research, with the new studies, the education system perpetrated the lies. Now, where did I find the truth? I found it when I went off the standard textbooks, when I started looking at what scientists, researchers, top, world, top nutritionists, top uh, experts in human potential, Buddhist monks um, were saying. And when I started experimenting with these things on myself, very rapidly, I was able to do some really remarkable things. So for example, I turned myself and the people in my company, which is now around 300 people strong, into guinea pigs. We are obsessed about experimenting with new ways of becoming the most powerful human beings we can be. So that, that's one. But at the same time, experimenting with being human beings who actually give a damn about other human beings, because you need both. You don't want to be a powerful asshole. You want to be a human being who has the mindset, the cognitive abilities, the health, the energy to get out there and change the world, but do it so that you're creating a better world multiple generations down. So all of these experiments, all of these new ideas that I'm studying, that I have hundreds of people in the Mind Valley company researching, adapting, getting out to the world are all designed to break human beings out of these shackles that these lies put us in, to awaken them to their potential and get them to start doing something about planet Earth. Mm, yes, yes, yes. I love it, Vision. Love it. Love this vibe. I don't want to spend too much time or energy on this, but you know, if we just look at the world, the political system here in the States, or just everything that's going on, and, and excuse my language here, but it, it seems like the shit is now hitting the fan, and we are left just kind of 
you know, like wondering, like, what, what should we do? Everyone is talking about this. Everyone is just discussing this. Everyone is horrified at the direction that we are headed. And it, it seems as if there is a shift in human consciousness happening as we speak. There is. And it's actually a shift that people have predicted since the 1870s. So one of the things that gives me hope is Darwin. And actually, I'm writing a short book called Darwin's Hope. Let me tell you what, what Darwin said, right? So Darwin wrote a book called Sexual Relations. Uh, gosh, Darwin's book titles were so complex, but it was something along the lines of Sexual Relations in Relation to Man and Animal Species. It was written in 1972. That's what I remember. Now, in that book, Darwin wrote about this really, really, really interesting concept called diffusion of sympathy. Now, sympathy was basically, you know, his way of saying compassion, right? But what Darwin said is that as man evolves and we get more advanced, our sympathy for fellow man would extend from just our family to our tribe to then all people of a nation. And then eventually it would break the boundaries of nations and extend to people of multiple nations. And it would get bigger and bigger and bigger until our sympathy extended to people of all the planet Earth. And he said, because we would start to understand that it is to our evolutionary advantage that our sympathy, our care, our kindness diffuses to all human beings. Now, what Darwin was essentially talking about here is the concept of world centrism. See, integral theory says that 70% of the world today is trapped in an ethnocentric way of living. Ethnocentric means these are good people, they are kind people, but their goodness and kindness extends only to people of their particular type, meaning country, ethnicity, religion, and so on. 30% of the world has, extent, has evolved to world centrism. And world centrism means their sympathy extends to people across the world. Nowhere was this more common than in Jimmy Kimmel two days ago. When Jimmy Kimmel brought up this, this Mexican family who was about to be deported, they were DACA recipients. And, um, you know, because uh, Trump is looking to take away DACA, this, mm. this, this, this family with a baby that was born in America were about to be torn apart. And then he brought in a group of six Trump supporters. And the whole point of his episode on Jimmy Kimmel, it lasted about maybe 13 minutes, was to see if he could convince the Trump supporters who were meeting this Mexican family holding their baby that maybe they should be allowed to stay in the United States. It was very interesting seeing that both sides were good people. The Trump supporters were good people. They were patriotic Americans, but their kindness could not bridge this artificial border between America and non-Americans. They kept sure. seeing those, that sure. family as non-Americans and they're saying that they need to leave. They need to leave. They need to leave. As the mother was holding the baby in her arms, talking about how she was here legally, their response was, sorry, you're not officially American. You need to leave. Now, that's an example of ethnocentrism. Now, if you're ethnocentric, congratulations, you're the majority of people in the world today. You're not bad, but there is this artificial barrier preventing your compassion, your kindness from extending beyond this bubble. Now, Darwin said that these artificial barriers will start to dissolve. Not only did he say that people would expand their compassion to groups of nations, and this is true. It's what formed the European Union. Right? But he said that once learned, this model would trickle down to the children and children in the next generation would grow up seeing this as their truth. So what Darwin was effectively saying is if you look 
at the way the world is accelerating, go forth 100 years, 200 years, nations will disappear. We'll see each, each, each other as one planetary species. There will likely be an earth flag. And children born in that era will never be able to think of a time when their parents actually fought <laughs> amongst Americans and North Koreans or Arabs and Christians. It wouldn't be conceivable. It's like Greeks today thinking about when Sparta and Athens and Thebes were at war with each other, right? Sure. So that's something that gives me great hope. Yes, the world is kind of messy today, but human civilization doesn't move in a straight upward line. It's like the stock market. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. And right now, I think maybe we took a little bit of, of a dip, but I actually believe this dip was necessary. It was a massive wake-up call. And I think what you're going to see in the next 50 years or so is the slow dissolution of the idea of patriotism and nation states. Nationalism will die out in most parts of the developed world by 2100. That's my prediction. That's one of the things that Mindvalley is really excited about. We employ people from 46 different countries. And when we run our major events like Mindvalley University, we fly the Earth flag. There isn't an official Earth flag, so I want to push the world to create one, but that's what we associate with. Wow, wow, Vishen. I, I love it, man. I love that you're, you're, you know, deconstructing Darwin there and, you know, talking about the shifts in human consciousness. It's, it's so important for us to be aware of what's going on in the world, but, you know, that old saying, being in the world but not of the world. I agree with you. I, I think the world is moving into this higher consciousness, and we did hit a, a, a sort of dip, a type of dip. So what I wanted to ask you is, you know, how do we have that strength in consciousness, in health? How do we protect ourselves against, you know, this aspect of the world that is, that is harming us, that is harmful? Well, that's, that's essentially what I wrote about in my book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. I speak about the concept of brules. Brules, B-R-U-L-E-S is a short form for bullshit rules. And I give people ways to recognize the bullshit rules of the world today. Basically, we got to understand that we, like a fish who is swimming in water, cannot see water, cannot recognize that there's water around him. We as human beings are swimming in what I call the culturescape. And the culturescape is this massive collection of beliefs, rules, habits, rituals that come to us from religion, from media, from our government, from our culture. And we blindly follow these rules, not realizing that some of these rules are absolute bullshit. Some of these rules actually make sense. Now, to understand the difference, you've got to understand the difference between absolute truth and relative truth. Absolute truth is this, right? We know that if I take a rock and knock it against my head, it's going to be painful. That's absolute truth, right? Rocks are hard, they are painful, you don't bang your head against rocks. Then there's relative truth. Relative truth is everything else um, about human society. You have to work hard to make money. Socialism is a bad form of government because it makes people lazy. We have one God, and if you pray uh, X number of times per day, this God will maybe reap uh, blessings upon you. You have to get married to a member of the opposite gender. These are all forms of relative truth. And the problem is people don't get that these are made up. Even Darwin in his, in his 1872 book wrote about how 
once parents stop, once parents basically start changing the way they perceive the world and move to a world, a form of world centrism, the kids just pick it up because almost everything that we think is a problem with the world comes from habits, beliefs, rituals that came to us from our parent. Here, I found the, um, the exact text from Darwin. As soon as this virtue is honored and practiced by some few men, it spreads through instruction and example to the young and eventually through public opinion, right? So we spread these lies generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. And it's up to us to cut the cord before it gets to our children. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by cutting the cord. So my kid, I've educated him when we watch television and we see Kellogg's breakfast cereal commercials. I've educated him on what those commercials are actually doing based on psychology. So I'm like, hey, Hayden, you know, so Hayden's 10. He's a really smart kid. And I tell him, Hayden, hey, hey, you got to learn about this thing called a trigger of influence. It's something that marketers use to get kids like you to buy their, their stuff. Let me tell you what's going on over here. And then we might talk about Cialdini's triggers of influence. Um, when he was seven years old and we were driving back from an event and it was Easter and he asked me, what is Easter about, right? I don't tell him what it's about. I tell him the interpretation human beings have. So I say, well, a lot of human beings believe in Jesus Christ. Hayden, you know who Jesus Christ is from a historical perspective. They believe that this, was, this celebrates the day he was resurrected. And when you speak to a child like that and you don't force relative truth as absolute truth, the child starts to question and make their own decision. So Hayden replied by saying, but dad, you know, and, and he said two things that surprised me. I wrote, I wrote about this in my book. He said, Dad, you know, I don't think Jesus really came back from the dead. I think maybe they just mistook another bearded guy for him. And I was, whoa, that, that's pretty bold, Hayden. But I was proud of him. But then he went on. You see, once you teach a child to think like that, you give them freedom to start questioning everything. He went on and he said this, and I don't know if I believe in God. Maybe we just make him up so we can feel good about ourselves. Wow. wow. And I was thinking, that's exactly how I want my seven-year-old to, to, to view it because nobody can brainwash him. Advertising can't brainwash him. Religion can't brainwash him. He can make up his own decisions. And, and so I would test him. Like I asked him, Hayden, do you think the people who illegally crossed the border from Mexico to the United States should be deported? And his response was, of course not. They're human beings. We've got to treat them with kindness. Who cares about borders? It's all imaginary anyway. Right now, he's making that up. He's not if he's not watching Fox News and, and having Fox News tell him what is right. He's learned to question everything. But at the core, there's one thing I teach Hayden. There's one thing which I tell him is possibly absolute truth and um, is something that you, you want to adopt as your core guiding principle. And that is Darwin's diffusion of sympathy. I taught him about world centrism about how human society evolves from egocentrism to ethnocentrism to world centrism, and that there's a level above that called cosmocentrism, which is where you care about all life and you think multiple generations down. So he uses that as his moral compass. Everything else, everything else, he's allowed to question. Mm. Oh, wow, wow. Such a powerful story there with Hayden and... I love everything that you're saying, man, and this is this is why you know we invited you back on the show is because you and I have seem to have this flow where we just riff off of each other and we just it it results in something amazing and magical. Vishen, I, I want to change gears a little bit and I want to talk about 
vulnerability. This is something that I I like to test my where my comfort zones are, where my barriers are. If I feel uncomfortable by something, I want to know why. Why am I having this reaction to something? So how do you respond to vulnerability, comfort zones? How do you challenge that within yourself? See, vulnerability, the whole idea of vulnerability is nothing more than an idea in the culture scape. Now, let me tell you what, what I mean by that. Some scientists say that there are only four basic human emotions, right? So there's this term. I remember listening to this in another really fantastic podcast. They were talking about this term called interception. I believe it's interception. Don't quote me on that. But imagine if you could listen to the sounds coming from inside your body, right? You can't because if you could, it would drown out everything else. I mean, there'll be the sounds of blood flowing, your heart beating, um, your kidneys, your stomachs, all of these would make some sounds within your body. So you don't pick these up through your traditional five senses, but you do pick them up through a concept called interception or listening within the body. And what you pick them up as are emotions. And there are only four basic emotions. In other words, all emotions are caused organically from what's happening inside your body. Now, this is a very scientific way of looking at it, but we'll play with this for a moment. And there are only four basic emotions. There is pleasant, unpleasant, arousal, and calm. Pleasant, unpleasant, arousal, and calm. Everything that we give a label to from feeling authentic to feeling confident to feeling jealous is really you can think of these as, as, as little Venn diagrams, the intersection of pleasant, unpleasant, arousal, and calm, and then the label that we were trained to slap onto it as a child. Hmm. I'm just ordinarily vulnerable. I have a habit of not being in my comfort zone. But again, we all process these things differently. I have Asperger's. So because of that, there are certain things that normal people can deal with, which I can't deal with too well. It's, hmm. it's, I'm, in a way, you could say I'm on the autism spectrum, right? Mm. And so, for example, I can't read nonverbal communication. I'm very literal, right? And so a lot of communication, they say 70% of communication is nonverbal. I can't see that bit. So I tend to be very literal in terms of the words that someone says. So because of that, right, I tend to be naturally very authentic because I can't play with emotion or give hidden messages. Now, there's a hard part to that. I, I, I never dated until I was like 22 because I couldn't understand that whole concept. So this is where it's hard for me because I'm not neurotypical to even answer your question in that way. We got to understand that we all have different neurological diversity and many of us process the world in different ways. You asked me a really tough question. <laughs> That's what we do here, man, is we ask the tough questions. And, you know, I, I, I love the honesty and I love that, that you are authentic and you, you do give, you know, all of yourself to whatever you're doing. Right. But, but did you see what I just did there? I just became really authentic. And for the first time in a podcast mentioned that I have Asperger's and that I'm on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So right. that's what I mean when I was using your question to actually push myself and see if I wanted to say this publicly. Uh, yes, yes. Because in a way, your question challenged me. But, but, but again, when you have Asperger's, you do process human, other human beings in a different way. It doesn't make you bad or good. It's just that you see the world differently. So I hope that for your listeners, that, was, that gave them some value. 
I'm absolutely certain that that will reach our listeners. And thank you for sharing that. That is such a vulnerable moment and thing to share, very personal thing to share um, on air here with us. So Vishen, you know, I, I want to talk about our thinking and our models of, of reality. And when I'm speaking to my clients or when I'm, when I'm on a coaching call or when I'm speaking to a friend and they're in a negative cycle of thought, they're in a negative worldview, negative reality. It's difficult for them to escape out of that loop because they're still trapped in it. It's, it's a cycle. It's a devastating cycle. When you are struggling the most, when you, Vishen, are having the hardest moment, I want you to think back to something recent where you were struggling hard. And you know, you've, you've worked hard. You've generated all the success for yourself and you, your business is thriving. And, but you are just having a hard day. It just seems like everything is working against you. What do you go to in that situation? In that moment, do you go to a perception of God? Do you go to a perception of something higher than yourself? Or do you go to an inner power within yourself and say, well, I created this. How do you perceive that? How do you react to that? Well, firstly, I am undecided on God. I believe that is a higher power. My best bet right now is that this higher power is the mass collective consciousness of all life on planet Earth. And so every decision I make takes that into consideration. And, and I have a personal belief that as long as the decisions I make are supporting the help of this life, I'm going to be taken care of. So, for example, I would never, ever, 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 ever start a company that was selling junk food, right? I would never work for Coca-Cola. I would never take any money from Coke or Nestle or any company, which I feel is humanity plus. And so that is my religious practice. I honor all life. Now, every now and then I will have shitty days. And when I have such shitty days, there are two things I do. First, I remember the concept of Kensho versus Satori. So Kensho versus Satori is a concept that Reverend Michael Beckwith introduced to me. Michael Beckwith is the, uh, the reverend at the Agape Spiritual Center in uh, Los Angeles. It's sort of a universal church for all religions. And it's a, it's a really an amazing place to be. Mm-hmm. So he said, there are two ways we grow. We grow through moments of awakening or we go through moments of pain. Pain and awakening, they are both, however, simply ways for us to grow. So a Satori moment is growth by awakening. You have a sudden insight, an aha moment, and you're never the same again. In a Satori moment, you, there is no pain. You have an awakening. A Satori moment may come in the shower. It may come after a vacation. It may come during the vacation. It may come during meditation. It's a sudden awakening. But we also go, grow through Kensho. Kensho is growth by pain. You fall into a bout of bad health. You're checked into a hospital and you come out realizing that you got to take better care of your health. It's pain that led to growth. That's Kensho. Or someone breaks up with you, but you realize what type of relationship you really need to pursue. That's Kensho. Kensho is growth through pain. So what Beckwood said is that as we grow through life, sometimes we'll grow through Satori. And you can believe in whatever higher power you want. You can say that these Satori moments are coming as a gift from this higher power. But by that definition, you can also say that Kensho moments are a gift by this higher power. It's this higher power kicking our butt. Like a good parent might sometimes, you know, be hard on a child to make that child grow. That's what Kensho is. Now, when you understand this model, even when you're going through a bad moment, I ask myself, wow, I wonder what I'm going to learn from this. 
And so there are no bad moments. Everything is a part to grow. So I found that Satori versus Kensho, that simple framework of understanding life is a really effective way to giving you a means to jump out of negative moments, to jump out of these darker days that might occasionally enter your life. When I'm having a shitty moment, I simply go, wow, I cannot wait to see what's at the end of this and how I'm going to grow. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100%. I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about exactly what you just talked about. Not Kensho, but the growth that we experience through pain and suffering. I'm a little bit younger than you. And I, so I have set rituals and I, I'm a very strategic person. I look at things and it's, a very, it's very much a methodical plan for me. So I have set rituals when I encounter these moments where I'm, I feel that I'm suffering. So my go-to things are either the gym, exercise, or meditation. Those two things. If I can't sit still, if I can't calm myself down and, and just breathe and meditate, then I go to the gym. What I've found is that through that release of that aggression, through that pain that we're experiencing can be this eureka enlightening moment that is explosive, that is so wondrous, is such an awe moment. I was thinking about this yesterday. It's amazing that you just brought this up. So I want to wrap this all and tie it with a bow and bring it all back together. So I want to talk about, we're talking about a lot of big things, big ideas. Let's bring it back down to the smaller things. Something that I notice is when I am volunteering or when I am giving my time to others, when I am in service to others, I feel a sense of fulfillment with that. That is important to me. Mm -hmm. What is something that you do on you know, a micro level that gives you that same sense of fulfillment or you know, expression of joy? Well, well to me, it is, it's working at Valley. Because what I did was I structured our company to, to, to be a place where people walk in and they say, gosh, this is the happiest place on planet Earth. Everyone is lit up. People are excited. Everyone is crazy passionate about health and wellness and meditation. The team is from 46 different com- countries. The office space kind of looks like Google. But I designed this. I wanted to, to make work my art, my joy, the thing that drives me and keeps me happy all day. And so... There's nothing I love more other than, of course, my kids and my wife and everything. Nothing I love more than just being in Mind Valley HQ and working on these personal development programs and experiments that we continuously do. Yeah, that's a fair answer. You know, I, I think there is an aspect of your methodology, which I respect sincerely, which is, you know, you seem to just take something and you, you look at it as objective as you possibly can. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, going to work and building, you know, what your passion is. I want to bring up, you know, someone listening to this conversation, they might look at, at Vision and say, oh, Vision, you, you know, you have so much success. I can never accomplish that. I could never do what Mind Valley has done. This is too high of a reach for me. There's no way I can ever do that. There's no way I could ever accomplish that. What is happening with that statement when someone makes that statement? One of the things that I teach, it's a, it's a very well-known Mind Valley framework that I designed. It's called the three most important questions. It's about going deep into yourself, asking yourself three questions that get you to set goals and visions for your life that are independent of what the culture scape pushes you to do. So what I say is that many people confuse means goals and end goals. For example, 
two kids can be in law school competing to see who would get better grades so because you know there's a limited number of partnership uh, law firm partnership jobs available they want to see who's going to get the, the the job in that dream company but that's actually competing on a goal that isn't really a goal it's a means goal now what you really want to do is identify the end goals now end goals are goals that truly lead to human happiness if you ask people why do you want to be a lawyer They'll often say, well, you know, law, being a lawyer means I'm going to get one of the highest entry level salaries, like upon graduation. And the next question is, well, why do you want that high entry level salary? And then they go, well, because that way I can save up and someday I can maybe travel the world and, and, and buy this dream home and on, on the beachfront in California. And now you've gotten to the end goals. They want travel. And then you can ask them about the home. Why do you want a home on the beachfront in California? Because they want to wake up every day next to the sea. Well, that's an end goal. They want travel. They want to wake up next to the sea. And then the next question is, so why do you freaking want to waste time in law school? Why not just move to Hawaii and find a way where you can wake up every day next to the sea? Because here's the thing. When people chase means goals, they are often blindly following rules that society says they have to follow. But if they aren't careful, they, it leads to misery. Uh, now, I pick lawyer for a specific reason. America has... 5% of the world population, 70% of the world's lawyers, and 50% of, I believe in a, a recent study, 50% of female lawyers in America are clinically depressed. Clinically depressed. You have all of these people who have spent all of this money getting a law degree, slaved away for almost a decade in terms of work and study, and they now live a life where they're clinically depressed. It's because they were chasing a means goal and not an end goal. So when we compare ourselves to others, it is often because we're comparing means goals. But when we do the three most important questions, which is designed to get you to identify your end goals, you become your own work of art. Let me tell you what this means, okay? So first, the three most important questions are what experiences do I want in my life? How do I want to grow? And the third question is how do I want to contribute? Experiences are things such as I want to create great art and see people be lit up because of my art. An experience might be, I want to have the experience of being able to hold a baby in my arm. An experience might be, I want to wake up every day next to this man or woman I truly love. An experience might be, I want to live by the ocean and be able to meditate, listening to the ocean every morning. Those are experiences. Those are goals. A law degree, not a goal. Or any type of degree, unless... Getting the degree itself is the experience, but that's rare. So that's the first thing, experiences. Now, the second list that you want to make is how do I want to grow? People forget that growth is a goal in itself, right? We gain incredible satisfaction and happiness from growing, learning a new language for the sake of learning a new language, not to pass some exam, studying something new, learning how to create art, learning even learning entrepreneurship for the sake of learning how to think like an entrepreneur. If you enjoy that learning, that's an end goal. Now, the final bucket is contribution. And this is very important. It's to, you know, the Dalai Lama said, if you want to be happy, make other people happy. So contribution means you set goals for how you want to give back to the world. Now, when you do this exercise, when you bypass the means goals, you go straight for the end goals, you ask yourself, what experiences do I want? How do I want to grow? How do I want to contribute? And you make these three bucket lists. You stop comparing yourself to others. See, most people live life like they are a piece of paper in a photocopy machine. They're not original. 
they are photocopy and a photocopy and a photocopy and a photocopy and a photocopy of every other life out there. But when you start forgetting the means goals and going straight to the end goal, you become a painting. You become an original work of art. Your life becomes a work of art. I was talking to Don Miguel Ruiz once, you know, the famous writer of Mastery of Love and Four Agreements. He said, I asked him, what does Toltec mean? Because all his books are based on this thing called Toltec wisdom. And he says, to be a Toltec is to be an artist. And you want to live life like your life is your work of art. And art is never photocopied. Wow, what is what a powerful, powerful way to to begin to wrap this up. And in the process of you know building Mind Valley, all all the things that that you've had to cross, all the hurdles. Was there a single defining moment for you that you can say this decision changed the course of Mind Valley and what I was doing? And and, and I know you shared the story earlier, but was there was there another time or moment where you had to make a choice and that choice resulted in either a large amount of success or even a large amount of regret or well well you know when i first started i didn't think i was smart enough i I didn't think i could do it on my own so i had the company for a year and i gave up a large chunk of the company to a friend from college who was like a top student in my university and you know i had a lot of respect from him he was a really smart guy stanford mba and um after around five or seven years of working together, I realized that we couldn't work together. But the problem is he owned half the company. So I had to buy him out. I had to go in debt for four years. My self-esteem issue, not believing I was enough, cost me millions upon millions upon millions of dollars because I gave up so much to someone else thinking I couldn't do it. And, you know, the year after I bought him out and I took over the reins of the company, that was our fastest growing year. We grew 70% that year. And I realized how much that feeling, that, that feeling of low self-esteem had cost me in life. And I think that was really my most painful point and my biggest realization. Wow. That is a very big one, man. I, I really appreciate that. If there's anyone listening to this and, and there's anything that you would like to share, anything that maybe comes up to you in your mind or anything that you think that our listeners might want to hear or something something that someone knows your work and has found your work and has studied your work for a while if there was one thing that you could share with them what would be that one share that you would would, would tell them well the the one thing i would say which which i think would be of of great use to people is um google google the three most important questions i think there's tons of videos and stuff on it out out there on the web i that there's even a video from me that that's on YouTube that explains the process. And I really recommend that if there's one thing you do after this podcast, if you like the content I shared, try that exercise. It's changed a lot of lives. It's being used in schools in India. It's being used in corporations across the United States. A lot of teachers have adapted it. And the beautiful thing about it is it, it, it really works. And I even put up a course on it free on Mindvalley's Quest app. So if you download Mindvalley Quest, which is our app, You can take a 17-day course, just five minutes a day, where you answer these questions. And um, it kind of goes a little bit deeper, but that course is called Extraordinary by Design, completely free. It's just something I wanted to give out because a lot of teachers use this to to help train teenagers to think about their life in a right way. But really, this was designed for myself. It was something I designed for myself. It just took off. And I, I hope you get a chance to experience it. Vision, I love having you on the show, man. I love the the conversations that we have. 
it gets bigger and, and better, and I just I, I love it. Vision, where can people go to find Mind Valley? Is it just mindvalley.com? Where do people go to find your work? Well, just go to mindvalley.com. And I, I think all my courses, so I used to have a lot of personal growth courses online. I actually made my two biggest courses free just because I wanted to get it out to people. Go to mindvalley.com. There's a lot of information over there, but also download the Mind Valley Quest app. Mind Valley Quest, Q U E S T S. Click on Discover. A lot, of, a lot of my programs are there and they're completely free for you to go through. And Quest is just a really beautiful learning experience. Perfect. And are there any events? Because I know Mind Valley has a lot of different events that are coming up. Are there any events coming up that you want to plug? So I'm looking to reinvent university. So I have a new model called Mind Valley University, which is a university model which is not four years in a bubble. It's one month every year. For 48 years. And you can learn about it on mindvalley.com forward slash U. U is in the letter U. It's happening in Tallinn, Estonia this July. And um, I think some of you guys who are listening might find it really interesting. Go check it out on the web, Mindvalley U. Guys, this is such an amazing interview. I hope you get as much as uh, I got out of bringing Vision back on. We're definitely going to have him back on again when his next book releases. Please get to mindvalley.com to find more of Vision's work, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. We are going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is The Human Experience. My name is Xavier Katana. You will hear from us next week.